Welcome to episode 12 of Everything EOS. I'm Zach Gall, an ICO data analyst at ICO Alert, the trusted ICO discovery platform. Visit icoalert.com, the most complete calendar of all active and upcoming ICOs to discover the latest projects and opportunities like EOS IO. And I'm here today with the founder of ICO Alert and CEO of Cypherglass, Rob Finch. Thank you all so much for joining us for another episode of Everything EOS. Uh, if you were one of the many people that left a comment either on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you are, uh, we thank you so much. Thank you for leaving those comments. Thank you for liking the show. Thank you for subscribing. Um, please let us know for this show. If you enjoyed it, leave another comment, leave a like, uh, tell a friend about it. We, we definitely appreciate all of the traction that we're getting and we're glad that you guys are enjoying the show. On today's podcast, we will be detailing the latest news and announcements around EOS IO, including the new proposed constitution changes recommended by Dan Larimer and Block One, a major investment by Galaxy Digital, latest airdrop news, and more. Before we get started, I do want to mention that we are both remote. Uh, the podcast last week was actually remote as well. So if you hear a bit of an audio difference, that's why uh, I've been traveling. Um, next week, I'll be traveling for the podcast as well. But uh, the week after, we'll finally both be back in the same location. So the audio should improve. Uh, before we get started, I do have to mention that this is not a sponsored podcast. Um, and as a matter of disclosure, both Zach and I do own EOS tokens. Uh, this is not uh, to be construed as financial, legal, tax, professional, or any other kind of advice. We're just two people talking about a technology that we're passionate about about. And you should always do your own research before making any financial decisions. All right. So big, big week this week. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy around these account freezes. And yeah. uh, Dan, Dan made a huge blog post yesterday. There's actually a short little uptick in price after it. I think it's stabilized since then, but uh, it was all good news, I think. Uh, ma he made some suggestions. You, you want to kind of talk about some of the controversy around the current constitution, what led up to this, and we'll talk about some of Dan's proposed changes. Yeah, so the, the current controversy surrounds this organization called ECAF, which is basically the, it's the EOS Community Arbitration Forum. Um, basically, they are the only arbitration forum right now for disputes on EOS. But what happened was that in the current constitution, um, the way that it's written gives ECAF uh, an insane amount of power, just more power than than any organization like within the EOS ecosystem should have. So basically, ECAF has the power to um, recommend different decisions to block producers, and some of those decisions were uh, freezing accounts that were hacked. So you know, when we went through this big token transition from the ERC twenty tokens to the actual EOS tokens, there were a lot of people who you know, went to a phishing website and, and typed in their private key or maybe used a fake EOS private key generation tool. And as a result, we're going to lose their EOS. So these people basically reached out to ECAF and said, hey, can you freeze my EOS account? I noticed that the hacker is unstaking my tokens and about to transfer them. Um, and they went ahead and recommended that decision to the block producers who then went ahead and froze those transactions. But uh, what people started to realize is, okay, wait, if these, if ECAF and the block producers can kind of go in and freeze theoretically any account, that's a serious issue because you know EOS and the, the blockchain space in general is all about uh, preserving your life, liberty, and property. And if somebody can come in and freeze your property and, and effectively make it worthless, that's obviously a very, very bad thing. Um, so Dan came out and basically said in the EOS governance channel uh, that the damage to the community from ECAF is greater than the funds we hope to restore to those users. And he actually went ahead and proposed an entirely new constitution that now limits the power of block producers and ECAF down to just fixing contracts like the DAO on Ethereum, for example. So, so if I write a smart who, contract and somebody hacks into it or, or it has a bug, we can go in and fix it. So who who gave ECAF this authority? Because they're they're not 
their power is not listed in the current constitution, as far as I know. So, so when was this decided and by whom? Unfortunately, I actually don't know the answer to that question. I believe it was a small group of block producers. ECAF to me is something that I didn't even know personally existed and nobody on our team really knew existed until all of this drama started happening and we started getting arbitration orders. Um, I think a lot of people knew ahead of time, okay, there's going to be some kind of arbitration system on EOS, but it was very unclear how ECAF kind of became that central place. And, and obviously, if you have any kind of centralized power like that, that has that authority, it's a, a very, very bad thing for the chain overall. So I'm, I, I think it was just really bad publicity because yeah. fir- first was the seven accounts from, from the mainnet launch. That was, I guess, okay. It wasn't a, a big deal, I, I don't think. But then the next one, uh, next document that came out from ECAF that wanted to freeze 27 more accounts. And it's like, yeah. wow, this, this is getting a little out of control. And I think the worst part was that they said they didn't really give a reason. They said, we'll tell you later, but freeze them now. Yeah. And that's where I had a real problem with it. So the first seven that came out, I was on the sort of on Slack with James, one of our tech guys who participates in all of those calls. And uh, he was saying, hey, you know, should we agree with this? Should we not? And I said, is there cryptographic proof? Did these people come out and cryptographically prove their ownership of the associated Ethereum account to the US account? And he said, yes, they showed us the proof. So I was like, okay, fantastic. You know, we'll go ahead and freeze the seven and, and deal with that later. But with the 24, that's where things start, started to get sticky when they weren't justifying the freeze. And I think a lot of other people had a problem with this as well. EOS New York came out and said that they weren't going to honor this anymore. And uh, ultimately, I think now we're headed in the right direction where we're getting back to the original intent of EOS rather than this weird arbitration thing where everybody's going to, you know, ultimately in the long run, this would be incredibly unsustainable if you had thousands and thousands of arbitration cases all the time and accounts being frozen. And there's just not enough manpower for people to manually verify that all of that is actually cryptographically proven. So I'm, I'm very happy about the direction it's headed now. So I guess we can start explaining some of Dan's proposed changes. The one that I liked was as far as the arbitration with the ability for accounts to be frozen and if, if like they're stolen or things like that, because that, that was one of the big selling points of EOS was th- this industry is filled with so many phishing scams and hackers that people are constantly losing money. So, so to prevent that, the ability to like freeze accounts seemed like a good thing, but not by default. Uh, right. So I, I think Dan's proposed change was, if you do nothing, then if your funds are stolen, you're screwed. But he he suggested making a smart contract where if you want to put your tokens, if you want to give them the, the ability to have arbitration in the case of a stolen or lost key, that if you put your tokens in this smart contract, they'll be protected in a different way than if, if you don't. Exactly. So it's more of an opt-in system rather than a everybody has to do it system, which I like a lot because personally, I, I take so much care over my keys and not losing my keys and having backups and having ways people can't steal them that I'm not going to opt into a system like that that gives arbitrators power. So I'm happy that, that they're going in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that, was, that was the big thing I liked was the opt-in basis because yeah. the, the big like selling point of, of blockchain and immutable blockchains especially is the censorship resistance. So if, if you want your tokens to be censorship resistant in all cases, then you just don't put them in that smart contract. But if you, if you want that extra protection, then, then put them in the smart contract. I, exactly. I, I like that a lot. Um, he also g- gave his opinion on ECAF. Um, what, what were the big things that you saw in there that you think is worth sharing? 
Yeah, the biggest thing that I saw that has been now resolved was Article 15 of the current Constitution, which is sort of the people are making jokes about comas like, oh, you went into a 3.1 year coma and now you lost all your tokens. Because what Article 15 basically said was, if you don't send a transaction from your account for three years, your tokens can be confiscated, the associated token power can be confiscated, and you would essentially lose all of your assets. And if the entire point of EOS is to secure life, liberty, and property, and you can take people's property away after three years, that's obviously a a major red flag and something that should not be in there. So that was completely removed in this new proposed constitution. Um, One interesting thing, though, that I think was removed that I'm I'm not super happy about, but I think can be uh, sort of addressed in another way is that they removed the explicit prohibition of vote buying. So now they're kind of leaving it up to the community to decide, hey, do you want to allow block producers to pay people to vote for them um, or not? And it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious about that too. So I, I don't know how to go about it. I don't know if like a voter should be paid directly or if if like there should be a payment that that goes to some community driven idea. Right. I, I'm I'm curious to see all the proposals for that um, because you, you don't want bad actors paying like you don't want the wrong block producers coming in uh, getting votes because they're paying the most. It shouldn't be Definitely. a pay to play type of thing. Um, with, with all these constitution change suggestions, I, I think this would be a good lead into Block One's announcement that they made this morning, and we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, Block One announced that they're going to start using their 10% of the token allocation to start voting to uh, add some, I guess, accountability to, to the network to make sure that there's no bad acting whales um, yeah. dominating the space. Because I, I guess we could bring up the other controversy was... Uh, what was the block producer's name? We'll call him out. He's a top 21 producer. Uh, he, he was apparently sleeping or something. Oh, Eostore. Yeah, I, I don't know much about them, honestly. I, I saw this Telegram chat and basically all of – there was a double spend that happened, right? Uh, no, I think the double spend ECAF order, and this is another problem with ECAF, is that there's no way to verify if an order came from ECAF or if it was just made up. And I think the double spend thing was actually um, made up in addition to another ECAF order that never actually originated from ECAF. But the issue was that going back to those accounts that were frozen because they were hacked and sort of figuring out how to resolve that, EOS Store didn't go in as a block producer and blacklist those accounts. So when it came EOS Store's turn to process transactions, that transaction went through and they were able, the hacker was able to send those tokens out to an exchange and sell them. So that person effectively lost that money because of the EOS store. But I do believe that they came out and made that person whole, which was good to see. But it, it also kind of was a red flag like, okay, you're not paying attention enough in governance chat to, to know when to blacklist. You're not participating on the weekly calls. You know, it, it's, it's something that should be kind of a default expectation for a blog producer. And it was something that they weren't really fulfilling. That, that really bothered me because the the lack of accountability on their end, I mean, it could yeah. have been some like they might have had a valid reason, but on the surface, it looked really bad. I expect uh, the top 21 block producer candidates to be more than just one person. Yeah, so absolutely. W- one person sleeping on it's one thing, but to have your entire team sleeping on it is another. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I totally agree. We're at Cyberglass. We're a team of seven, almost eight people. So that we always have somebody watching either the chat or you know participating in the calls. Generally, somebody watching the live stream in addition to somebody participating on the call. Um, and and that's something we should mention as well. There there are now two weekly calls for block producers. So twice a week, I believe it's on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, the block producers get together, sort of talk about issues, talk about code updates, talk about you know RAM upgrades, which we'll touch on in a little bit. Um, but now. 
in an effort to be more transparent, we've started live streaming these calls to the community. So if you're interested in what's being talked about on one of these calls, you can watch along live um, and you know give your feedback in the chat. Let block producers know in their telegrams that you like what they're saying, that you don't like what they're saying. So it, I think we're getting to the point now where the community's much more involved, which is how it should have been from the beginning. Cool. So is anyone transcribing those calls or are they just available on live stream and then you could watch them on a, like a recording later? Yeah, they're available on live stream and you can watch them on a, a recording later on YouTube. Um, if you search, uh, I believe it's, I'll, I'll come up with a name. We can put a link in, uh, in the show notes, but uh, if you search, you know, US block producer meeting, I believe they'll come up on YouTube. Are they, are they pretty boring? I've never watched one. Yeah, they're generally pretty boring because, you know, we're taking votes on, you know, hey, should we do this code upgrade today or should we do it tomorrow? I think it's good to have them all live streamed and sort of documented for historical purposes. But I think most people will only really want to tune in when something exciting is being talked about or something that's a, a big community issue is being talked about. So uh, you mentioned RAM. Yeah. I, I mean, I heard of the RAM trading whenever it was first announced with the Bancor protocol. But what, what's been going on over the last week is the price has just gotten insane. I think it's gone four mm-hmm. or five X. Um, I, when Dan proposed it, he mentioned having a 1% transaction fee, which is pr- pretty high. It's about 10 to 100 times higher than your average exchange charges on a transaction on a trade. Uh, and that, that was to limit speculation. But it seems like speculation is driving up the price significantly. Um, I, I think I read somewhere the cost just to do an airdrop at this point is going to cost at least twenty thousand uh, uh, dollars to give them enough RAM to to run a, a an airdrop. Yeah, yeah, and RAM is something it's 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 interesting. I mean, if you're buying RAM to do an airdrop, you can theoretically then sell that RAM back into the system and get your money back, and and basically have done the airdrop for free, especially since you're not paying those transaction fees, but. The price of RAM right now is definitely a problem because if you're a DAP developer and you want to build on EOS and you need some kind of RAM allocation to build that DAP and to host your user accounts and things like that, it, it becomes almost prohibitively expensive. But the good news is that right now, the amount of RAM that block producers have is relatively low and is going to be increased in the near future. So the amount of RAM on EOS should dramatically increase over the next six months as we you know move towards the end of the year. Um, I'm not exactly sure of the the specific time, and we're sort of all putting together a process to either make those announcements to the community or just do the RAM upgrade suddenly overnight. Because there's all these issues of insider trading with RAM and and you know the block producers knowing about RAM ahead of time. Uh, but something that we've done personally is just basically prohibited all of the Cypherglass members from trading RAM at all. So we're not allowed to buy RAM. We're not allowed to sell RAM. Uh, just basically removing ourselves from that system. But yeah. RAM should get much, much cheaper in the near future, and especially in the, the medium to long future, um, it should get much, much cheaper and, and actually be usable again. So, so right now, the RAM is set at 64 gigabytes. So every single node on the network, uh, all the block producers are uh, allocating 64 gigabytes of RAM for the entire network. And then I, I forget the website that shows how much of it's been purchased. O- over 60% of that 64 gigabytes has been purchased. But it only, I, I think, less than a percent is actually being used. Right. So, so, so the way the, the RAM works is even if 100% of the RAM w- was staked and purchased and you only owned a, a tiny piece of it, if the other people who own the RAM aren't using it, I, I believe that you're actually getting more bang for your buck even if you don't own a ton of RAM. Is that correct? I believe so. I know that's how it works for the, the CPU and bandwidth that you get, you know, as part of your tokens that, that where if you own 1% of the tokens, you own 1% of the CPU and bandwidth and can kind of surge above that. I'm not sure if that's the way it is with RAM, but that, that would make sense. And it's worth noting also that, 
you know, our current infrastructure has, I believe it's almost a terabyte of RAM. That, so that's what I was going to ask is what is the capacity yeah. of this thing? Like once we really start growing. The capacity is much, much lo- larger than it is now. And we've all, all the block producers have kind of intentionally kept it low so that we could gradually scale up and try to prevent the speculation from happening because the speculators are going to get burned when we release RAM, more RAM onto the market and sort of crash the price of RAM, so to speak. But we're all kind of talking now on like, when do we want these upgrades to happen and what's the process for these upgrades going to be? But our infrastructure is already ready to go up to what I believe is a, about a terabyte of RAM. Yeah, there, there's actually a RAM price trading telegram channel I was in just trying to yeah. see what they're going on. Because some people hate these people for driving the price up. I don't really care. I'm not messing with it. I don't want to get caught with my pants down. Yeah, exactly. But, but the people that got in early, man, they, they did do really well for themselves. But what's going to happen is the, these RAM upgrades aren't going to probably happen instantly overnight because they'll have to be discussed and voted on first. But as soon as there's even like rumors of it, it getting speculated or rumors of you guys even considering an upgrade, mm-hmm. it's just going to dump right then and there. No, no one's going to wait for it to actually happen. So, so the, the volatility is going to be nuts. There, there's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to be happy when that happens, but yeah, if they hold it long-term, I bet the Ram price eventually does like whatever level it's at today, maybe in a year, it's still going to seem like a really good price, even though it's seems ridiculously high today. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's going to be the opposite, honestly, where as the block producers make more and more money and invest more and more into infrastructure over time, we, we may eventually have 100 terabytes of RAM in our infrastructure and every other block producer may have the same. So long term, I think personally, we'll see the price of RAM continue to go down and down and down. Um, but it will also depend, you know, of course, on how many dApps are using it and how many people are buying it to speculate. There, there's a lot of different factors that go mm-hmm. into it. Um, so I mentioned the, the cost of airdrops. Do you know the number of how many airdrops we've had so far? I think we've had more than 10, but when it comes to the actual, let me look up the number um, of airdrops that have actually happened on EOS. Because obviously, you know, a lot of airdrops have happened on Ethereum relative to the EOS ERC20 tokens that we've had, but there have been far fewer on EOS. But the average that we're getting now is actually about one EOS airdrop per day, which is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these are one-to-one airdrops or two-to-one airdrops. Um, I'm looking at my account now. I have EOS, which are just my normal EOS tokens, ADD, which is basically a Korean version of EOS DAX. So it's going to be another sort of decentralized block producer. CETOS, which is some kind of healthcare um, company. EOX, I'm not sure what that is. CET, um, which is this decentralized exchange that's actually live on EOS right now. And then it looks like today I got another one, ATD, um, atidium.io, which is some kind of payment and budget management app. So they're, we're still sort of following this one airdrop a day, which I think is pretty amazing, especially since some of these look to be quality airdrops like that decentralized exchange. Yeah, but none of these tokens necessarily have an inherent value yet. I don't, I don't think any Correct. of the, most of the airdrops haven't shown up on any decentralized exchanges even yet. Have they? I, I haven't looked. No, I don't think any have. Yes, um, yes, I know that did, but that was a while ago. Right, that was a long time ago. The the CET token, which is that Chains, um, I believe so you say it, C H A I N C E decentralized exchange on EOS, they are going to list that on their own decentralized exchange since that's what they are. But they said they're not going to do that until the airdrop is done. Uh, 
but that could be sometime next week that gets listed. And since they're an EOS-focused exchange, I imagine that they'll start listing a lot of these airdrops. One interesting thing about this RAM market on the Bancor protocol is it's essentially acting as a decentralized exchange on EOS. Like it's an exchange within yeah. the EOS platform. You're essentially trading EOS for EOS RAM, and then you trade EOS RAM back for EOS for either a profit or a loss. So yeah. I, I could see all these native EOS tokens being created through these airdrops and, and eventually through ICOs maybe. Um, they, they might be able to be traded within the platform just like people are trading RAM right now. It's really interesting. Definitely. And Bancor themselves is actually bringing that Bancor platform. Um, you know, they have that Bancor decentralized exchange on Ethereum. They're also bringing that to EOS. So it's just a matter of time until we have that. And then EOS Finex also, which is the decentralized version of Bitfinex, um, is coming to EOS sometime soon. So we should have a lot of decentralized options that I imagine will list uh, most, if not all, of these airdrops that are coming out. Nice. What's up with Everpedia? You usually keep pretty close eye on that. Do we have a date yet? Uh, there's no date yet for the actual airdrop. Um, they are still using the Genesis snapshot, I believe. That was in their most recent update, which I think was on June 17th. Um, but I put out an airdrop spotlight video on the Cyberglass YouTube channel that kind of dove into the specifics and the, the different token economics behind it. Basically, for every one EOS token you get, you're going to get 5.1 Everpedia or IQ tokens. Um, so it's going to be a pretty sizable airdrop and a lot of exchanges. I know Bitfinex, I think Binance even, and a couple others have already said that they're going to support the token. So I think that's going to be one of the biggest initial airdrops that we see that's actually going to have some real value. Yeah, that that's the only actual airdrop I'm excited for because it's the only one being done by a company supported through the ESVC fund through Galaxy Digital, yeah. uh, which which I guess brings me to, to the next piece of news that came out was, I don't know if it came out this morning or last night, but I, I didn't see it until this morning. But uh, Mike Novogratz came out and he announced uh, Galaxy Digital invested $20 million into a major VR platform. It, it's, called High wow. it's called High Fidelity. And it was founded by a guy named uh, Philip Rosedale, who is the founder of Second Life. Um, would you want to explain Second Life? Because you probably know more about it than I do. Yeah, Second Life is basically a, a video game world where you kind of make your second life, so to speak. You make a character, you have a name, first name, last name. But what was interesting about Second Life is that even when it launched, I think back in 2003, so it's been around for a long time, they had an in-game currency. But at that time, obviously, before you know Bitcoin was even invented, before crypto was a thing, it was a centralized digital currency. So the company that made the game called Linden, um, and it was the Linden dollar, they had a lot of control over the actual real-world value of the currency. There were people that um, got burned by Linden because they'd have, say, a, a, I know there were these, these strip clubs and hotels in-game that people owned and actually made real money from, like serious money, six figures to even sometimes seven figures for these properties. And Linden would come in, the centralized entity, and make a change in the world and then burn somebody and, and make that person lose a lot of money because of their rule change. Um, but Second Life was kind of this first foray into real digital value where a property you owned or an item you owned in the game had some kind of real world value and, and did billions and billions of dollars in transactions over its lifetime. I think I read um, $4 billion in global virtual transactions done on Second wow. Life. Um, I, I read the article this morning about it. Um, I'm not real in tune with VR and gaming so much, um, but I... We hear about all these use cases of blockchain, like transferring real estate. So you could transfer real estate titles or land from peer to peer through a blockchain protocol. Yeah. That's that's going to eventually happen, but but we're years away from that. 
But Mm -hmm. I think in these virtual reality worlds, we're going to see that type of transacting sooner rather than later. So, so you mentioned like all this property ownership and, and item ownership and, and things you do in Second Life. It's all going to be tokenized on a blockchain and you'll be able to transfer ownership and it's yeah. going to be very interesting. Oh, absolutely. And I think the some of the stuff that Block One is working on, like the iPhone hardware wallet that will let you use the secure enclave in your iPhone to store your EOS, that's going to open up so many different blockchain-based games on EOS. Because if I can, for example, let's say CryptoKitties comes to EOS. If I can trade my CryptoKitty and breed it and do all these things from my phone, just like I'm using a normal phone app, that has the potential to gain so much more mainstream success than something that I have to access through my browser and sign a transaction through Scatter and go through this whole laborious process. Yeah. So so th- th- this is going to be big. I, I think we, we talked about this off the air, how it, it's been kind of quiet with all these VC funds that, that got all this money from the EOS ICO. And there hasn't been really many announcements of companies who are, are being granted some of those funds. But this is a major one. Like, yeah. so, so far, both companies that Galaxy Digital has a- announced uh, funding for have major players involved because Everipedia has got Larry Sanger involved who, who founded Wikipedia. And now we have Philip Rosedale who, who built Second Life. So the, yeah. these are people, major industry players in, in, in their uh, respective industries. Uh, and I, I think we're going to see, see like, what were you calling it? D-Ubers and, and stuff? Right, D-Uber, the decentralized Uber. I totally agree. I mean, the, there are so many industries, particularly the digital industries and video gaming being one of those, that are so ripe for disruption because they have these middlemen that are taking out these massive fees or middlemen like Second Life that are coming in and, and taking people's property when you know, that property should stay in the hands of the people. So those are so ripe for disruption. And I I think the gaming industry is ripe for EOS disruption just because of the backgrounds of uh, Bloomer and and Brock Pierce, who's not part of the team anymore, but he's still part of the community. Just they got their start in this trading of virtual goods before blockchain, years before blockchain was even a thing. Yeah, a lot of people don't know. Brendan Bloomer was worked with uh, Goldman Sachs, I think it was. He got like a $25 million investment from Goldman Sachs years and years ago. He built one of the largest gold-selling websites in the world called, I think it was ING. And they sold World of Warcraft gold and um, you know Guild Wars gold and all kinds of different virtual currencies. And at one point had 400,000 people working for them in China farming this gold and then selling it to people. So they built this massive virtual economy. So they really understand like token economics and, and how all this stuff works. But I was to your point about video games, I was talking in the EOS price chat, uh, EOS price telegram chat earlier this week, talking about how I think gaming alone has the potential to take something like EOS and blockchain tech mainstream. Because if I can go on my phone and play a game and make money from the game, and I don't even realize I'm using a blockchain, that one industry alone, forget all the other stuff, Gaming alone has the, the potential to bring this tech mainstream and really make it something that everybody uses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I don't know what Dan's up to with with all the iPhone stuff, but but he's been teasing it regularly. Um, didn't he give a timeline sort of in, in the Telegram channel or when someone asked him? I asked him. Oh, yeah, I asked, asked him. Uh, yeah, I asked him. I said, "Hey, Dan, is there an ETA basically on uh, when this iPhone hardware wallet's going to be released?" And he said he hopes by the end of the year. He hopes that it'll all be out. Um, he then also gave a worst case scenario, which was never because Apple has obviously full control over approving it or denying it. But uh, I, I'm optimistic that it will come out by the end of the year as well, if not sooner. And I think them proposing this new constitution, which basically 
puts the the burden of securing your account back on the user and says, hey, you need to keep your funds secure. It's not on the arbitrators to, to make you right in the end. I think that puts a little fire under them as well to get this app approved. Because once the app is approved and you can you know, sign transactions with your face or your fingerprint, the the barrier to entry for somebody to come in and hack your account and steal your tokens is so much higher that that may be eventually eliminated completely. So I think they're kind of sweating now, like, okay, we need to get this wallet out to allow people to protect their funds. Mm. And Dan mentioned he's working on a decentralized identity also, which he said yeah. is not going to involve any government IDs or anything. So it's going to most likely be done oh, with wow. biometric data. So if you use biometric data, you you, you do have a virtual identity and you, you can only have one. So yeah. and the the discussion kind of got into voting because currently it's a, a plutocracy. The more tokens you have, the more more weight your votes carry. But like in in the real world, we we vote one person, one vote. And he he, he kind of mentioned how not everyone wants a democracy because bigger shareholders probably should have more weight, but not all voting is going to be equal. So maybe like block producer voting might be done based on token weight, but then we might have like different types of voting, like whether uh, like arbitration voting or voting for community funds, it could be like one person. On yeah. Vote. And that, well, and I could see something like constitution updates, for example, I could, that I think makes a lot of sense to have, you know, the one person, one vote where anybody can come in and your vote is, is just as important as the whales vote. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about whales and block producers. And I think not all whales are bad, but I think a lot of whales are, are, are actually good. So if you imagine somebody that has $10 million locked up in EOS, that person is incredibly incentivized to make decisions that are in the best interest of the network. And they're going to increase the price in the long term because they have so much to lose uh, if it doesn't work out. So I think a lot of these whales are incentivized to pick the right block producers, but I would like to see it be a little more uh, decentralized and user focused in the future. Yeah, I, I kind of have some ideas on ways I, I would possibly change it and maybe like have like almost like a, a power curve on on the tokens you have. So after so many tokens, every additional token you have would carry less and less weight for, for voting. That way it kind of takes off. And I think that that would be a possible solution, but we'll see. Yeah, I think something to the point about Block One announcing that they're going to actually start voting with their 100 million tokens, I think they've kind of realized that if you just give this chain to the community completely, and it, it still is, I mean, the community still has control over it. But if you do that, things like ETF are going to arise, and we're going to have these token freeze issues, and people are going to start freaking out. So based on the stuff that they've come out with, with the new proposed constitution, and then saying that they're going to vote, it seems to me like they're taking more of a, like a nurture this chain stance, where they're going to come in, they're going to vote for the best block producers, they're going to, you know, propose constitution updates, and then let the community vote on them. And then I think gradually over time, they're going to get less and less involved and eventually make it that fully community platform. But it seems to me that they've realized with all the ECAF drama that, hey, maybe we do need to step in and sort of push people in, in the direction that they believe is right. So I think that's cool to see them coming out and still kind of helping. The yeah, I, I think so. It's it's definitely a, a good backup plan for when things go wrong. You have this 10% whale, essentially, that, that, that can make things right. Um, definitely. But, but I think they'll be very careful on the things that they do vote for because they don't want to uh have anyone pointing fingers at them saying that they're they're the corrupt ones or anything oh absolutely one of the other constitutional changes be because they mentioned uh they want to vote now or, or they're going to vote is and part of that is going to be for block producers they um proposed 
a change so that right now, whenever you vote for block producers, every one token is allowed to vote for up to 30 block producers. And they want to update that to make it one token can vote for 50 block producers. So that, that'll allow block one with their 10% votes to vote for 50 different block producers. So it's casting a much wider net and it, it won't yeah. look like they're, they're uh, having any favoritism or anything because it's so many block producers and th- they're going to hold them to a very high standard. And they, on their uh, blog post, they mentioned the standards that are the qualities that they're looking for and MVPs that they will be voting for and alignment of the constitution, things like that. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what, what happens. I'm not sure if they have a way, I, I assume that 10% of their 10% of their 10%. So 10 million out of the hundred million tokens are unlocked now since they, they get unlocked. Um, every year for 10 years, which is something a lot of people don't know. They, they can't just move those 100 million tokens now. They can vote with all of them, but they can't move them um, until that full 10-year period is up. They can move 10 million every year for 10 years. But it'll be interesting to see if they do something like move the first 10 million to another wallet and then vote those 10 million instead of voting the whole 100 million. Because if they came in now and voted the entire 100 million, they would effectively be choosing who they want to be the top 21 active block producers and then the the backups from 22 through 50. Mm-hmm. So is there any other uh, big news that we missed here today, Rob? Any, anything? Going um, on I think it's pretty much the, the main thing going on with Cypherglass. Um, we were supposed to have an announcement ready by now, but we have some extra things that we're adding to it. Um, so maybe next week we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that announcement, but we have some exciting things coming that, that should make um, a, a lot of aspects of the EOS sort of ecosystem easier, so to speak. Um, but otherwise, you know, our hardware wallet, wallet bounty, we put out that $100,000 bounty for a, a Ledger Nano S and Trezor wallet. We have more than a dozen teams actively working on that now, and we've seen some cool progress there. So we'll continue to keep you guys updated as that gets developed. Yeah, I saw someone posted a demo video of, of a hardware wallet on e- with EOS. I'm not sure which one it was, yeah. though. It was pretty cool. So they, they must be getting yeah, close. Yeah, it was a Ledger. Yeah, they are getting close. And now it's, I think, just a matter of building that interface on the computer. They've They've made it work with Cleos, which is the command line version of EOS that you know a developer can use. But obviously for this thing to be user-friendly and get approved by Ledger, they have to build in that sort of wallet interface. So I think that's what most teams are working on now. All right. So I think, I think to wrap up, I want to just kind of uh, read something that NS James, who he, he's the founder of Scatter Wallet. Uh, you guys, if, if anyone listening to this is active at all in the EOS community, you, you've probably seen NS James around. But he said something in Telegram, quote, I just got a sneak peek at the coolest thing running on EOS I've ever seen yet. Fuck it. I just got a sneak peek at the coolest thing I've ever seen running on a blockchain. Can't divulge info, but man, this is going to be a true game changer. And I really, really wonder what he's talking about because he's a highly respected member and he wouldn't of the community and he wouldn't just be blowing smoke on this. And yeah, it could be so many different things. We, we've speculated on the, the secure enclave with the iPhone, the uh, decentralized identity, like it could be anything. And with him being, yeah. with him being uh, the, the dev on scatter, uh, if anyone set up their scatter wallet there, you're allowed to give it like personal details, like your name, your phone number, your address. And that's to be used in the future. Like if there's a shopping cart, on the EOS blockchain, uh, like a shopping cart tool, so it like automatically has your information already. So maybe, right. like that's what I'm thinking. I'm hoping it's the decentralized I- identity because I- I've been kind of waiting for that for over a year now. Um, yeah, I'm hoping it's I'm hoping it's something related to a video game. To be honest, <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited of all these potential video games. Maybe he saw like 
a sneak peek at the VR world that the Novogratz just invested in. Maybe it's like the Second Life 2.0 that's decentralized. I don't know, but I'm I'm just excited to see these dApps actually launch and and see some of these use cases come to life that we've been waiting so long for. Yeah, I, you're right. It, it might have just been the stuff we talked about with Galaxy Digital because he said that yesterday at like four o'clock and then the Galaxy Digital news came out this morning. So maybe that is really big news. And I don't think it's quite trickled out yet because I didn't, uh, whenever I was in the Telegram channel, I didn't have a whole lot of time this morning to, to dig through it, but it didn't seem like there was a bunch of hype yet. But as right. soon as, even when I read it, I was like, this is cool. Uh, they invested in another company. But as soon as I saw that, uh, the association with Second Life, I got I, my ear, I perked up a little bit. It's, it's bigger news than I initially thought, and they they got definitely they got a lot of other funding too. Uh, they got fifteen million dollars uh, from Blockchain Capital as well, oh, and wow. in total, it, I read an article they have seventy million dollars of funding. So they're probably oh my not going to be doing an ICO. Hopefully, we'll we'll see some sort of airdrop. Um, also, in the article, they mentioned that their internal token that they'll be using is going to be a stable coin. So it's not going to be speculative. So it, it'll be really interesting. That's interesting. That's very, that's very, very similar to how second life was where the Linden dollar has, I think it's only changed by maybe 2% per year over the last 10 plus years that the thing has been running or 15 years now. Um, so it makes a lot of sense. It seems like they are sort of following that same second life model, but most likely decentralized where some central entity doesn't have control. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just a lot to, to get excited about. I'm excited to hear about whatever news you're keeping from me is that you can't count until <laughs> next week. Um, so where, where are you at right now, Rob, before we <laughs> wrap up? I'm actually in uh, North Carolina. I've been traveling all over the country. I was in Florida, now I'm in North Carolina. And finally, I, I'm getting kind of tired of traveling, to be honest. Um, finally, I'll be back the first week of July, and then I'm not traveling for a long time. So there'll be a ton of new Cyberglass videos coming out. We have a lot of exciting stuff planned, like I've been teasing. Um, so it, it's going to be a pretty exciting July, and then I think an exciting few months to, to wrap up the end of the year. Awesome. Uh, anything else you want to drop before we uh, uh, get off? Um, I think the last thing, if you haven't, check out our updated website, cypherglass.com, C-Y-P-H-E-R glass.com. We have a new video section on there where you can see all our videos and, and see all the new ones that are about to come out. But uh, otherwise, just you know, continue to hodl and go EOS. And for everyone listening, if there's anything you want us to talk about next week, tweet us, comment on our YouTube. Uh, we've been getting so many listens. We've been getting over 5,000 listens um, across all platforms awesome. for each episode. It's been great. Uh, um, we've been getting so much feedback. It's It's been awesome. Subscribers are up. We're, we're glad you're enjoying this. We want to make it even better. So let us know your suggestions. If you want us to cover any specific topics, um, we're always available. Uh, my Twitter handle is blockchainzack. And Rob, yours is Finchify. Yeah. All right. So this is the end of episode 12. I'm Zach Gall. I'm Rob Finch. And this is Everything EOS. ICO Alert maintains the only trusted comprehensive list of pre-ICOs and initial coin offerings. This Pittsburgh-based startup has grown to serve over 1 million users in less than a year. But how did it get started? Well, at first, the company was just an online tool for two brothers, Mike and Rob Finch, to keep a calendar of their favorite ICOs. After just a few months, the team has grown to over 14 team members and produced hundreds of ICO reports. These in-depth reports feature exclusive interviews and offer insight into past, active, and future ICOs. 
head on over to icoalert.com, meet the team, and use their game-changing My Portfolio function. Track your favorite blockchain projects. Become your own venture capitalist only at icoalert.com.